You're listening to a message provided by Antioch Bible Baptist Church in Gladstone, Missouri. We intend this to be a helpful resource to you as you grow in your walk with Jesus Christ. This is intended especially for those who are unable to attend our worship gatherings and therefore were unable to hear the teaching of God's Word. This should not replace your gathering with our church as a member. If you're checking us out for the first time and are looking for a church to visit, we hope that you enjoy this content and that it impacts you personally. Thanks for listening. If you have your Bible, uh, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 through down for verse 29 will be our focus of study today as we continue uh, our series in the Sermon on the Mount. And what a sermon it is, amen, uh, to hear what Jesus had to say, the very words of Jesus and the sermon he spoke. And uh, Bible scholars believe it was even more than just these three chapters that he may have spent hours and hours upon hours just teaching. Can you imagine hearing uh, the teaching of Jesus, what that must have been like? Uh, to hear his words and to hear his encouragement and to hear his warnings. I think we all get it that we live in a culture of warnings everywhere, right? Everywhere. We think of weather warnings. If you live in, and we do live here in this area, it's all about tornado stuff. Uh, When we first moved to the Midwest, we were down in Springfield in, in college, we're from Idaho, in that area. We never even heard of a tornado before. And just when it happened at, on, on campus, like these sirens going off and everything else, man, we didn't know what to do, man. It's just crazy. And then how it rains here. We, we have, in Idaho, hardly ever rains. And those, those warnings that came out, you got to take cover. You got to take yourself. Maybe we think, we think about ice or snow. Uh, we think about health warnings that are important. We take care of our bodies, health warnings. We all know about traffic warnings. I've got a couple on the screen for you here. This represents stop. And when you get to a stop sign, you're supposed to? Stop. Stop. Okay, good. Yield. Keep on going here. Okay, speed limit. I, I thought I'd just get the five mile an hour speed limit. I'm sure anybody in the room doesn't go beyond what the speed limit is. I'm sure you guys don't do that. I've always kind of heard it safe to go five miles beyond that. I don't know how that works. And then walking, what is that one? Is that a walking crosswalk, crosswalk? Okay, I think I got just, oh, there you go, a deer, deer crossing, uh, no U-turn. I think that's all I've got. I think that's all we need, right? Okay, that kind of gives you an idea what we're talking about. So we're looking here in Matthew chapter seven, and the theme here is the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, and this section here is a teaching of warning. In this passage, he calls us to a radical transformation, a a radical change, realizing our relationship is not about what we do, but about what Jesus did. Amen, church? It's not about religion. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And he's going to hit this pretty heavy here in this section as we look at it. It teaches us the significance of a relationship with him that is not by works of human effort, something that we can do and make it happen. It teaches just the opposite. That there's no way that we can live out our faith. There's no way we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ apart from Jesus Christ. Putting our faith and trust in him. It's not by religion. It's about a relationship. Amen. Putting our faith and trust. It's not about works. It's about grace. We're going to work our way through that as we look at this passage today. So if you have your Bible here, join me in Matthew chapter 7. And our focus will be on verse 13 through verse 29. Hear God's word. Enter by the narrow gate, 
For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, eternal life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased fruit, bad fruit. A healthy tree, in verse 18, cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand." And then the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Let's, let's pray together. Father, it means a lot to call you our father. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this passage uh, the weight of this passage, the challenge of this passage, uh, to look at our life personally. Are we in, has there been that personal relationship with Jesus or has it been about religion and about what we can do and about our works? So today, God, teach us and grow us, we ask. If there's anyone in this room today or those watching online who have not put their faith and trust in Jesus, that today could be that defining moment to recognize their sin and call upon your name and uh, repent of their sin and say, Jesus, save me. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, will be delivered, will be saved. So challenge us. I pray that you would grow us. And we thank you today for the very words of Jesus in this passage. Thank you, Father, for your goodness. Thank you for your greatness. Thank you for our time together in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. And together, church, we said, amen. amen. Four vital warning signs. One, two gates. Second, two trees. Number three, two claims. Number four, two foundations. Simple. I'm a simple guy, okay? We're going to kind of work our way through it, looking forward to what God has for us. First, two gates in verse 13, 14. As Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The narrow gate and the wide gate. The narrow gate represents Jesus, and the wide gate represents religion. 
Jesus saying in the Sermon on the Mount, here, this sermon, he says, this forming the gate, the narrow gate, it's all about, that's what he's teaching in this passage. In fact, all of the Sermon on the Mount really is pointing to the narrow gate. Are you with me, church? Everything he talks about in chapter five and chapter six and chapter seven, he's pointing not to the broad or the wide gate, but to the narrow gate. We looked at chapter five a few months ago now or weeks ago. We looked at the Beatitudes. There's eight Beatitudes. The Beatitudes were translated as happy or as someone who is blessed. And the idea of blessed is a word that conveys approval, fortunate, or congratulations. So we saw that in the teachings of the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes teach, in reality, this is what it means to be a Christ follower. The Beatitudes do not make you a Christ follower. They represent what a follower looks like. These particular eight Beatitudes. Let me give you a couple of examples today just to reflect and review. Back in chapter five, verse three, Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom or the authority and rule of God. The poor in spirit are those who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt. The poor in spirit recognizes that we can do nothing apart from Jesus Christ. Poor in spirit, poor in spirit. Jesus saying, congratulations, come to me empty-handed. Don't come to me with your religion. Don't come to me with your works. Come to me broken. Come to me recognizing I need Jesus. What about your life? How'd that come in your life? When you recognize I need Jesus, where it's not about religion, It's not about church membership. It's not about what I do and don't do. It's about what Jesus did for us and continues to do in our lives by the grace of Jesus Christ. Verse four of that chapter, blessed are those who mourn. Mourning is an act of repentance and regret over our sin. This all spills over here into chapter seven. Verse eight of chapter five, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The pure in heart are those who pursue purity. Uh, They respect others. Chapter six, verse five, when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites for they pray to be seen by others. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. So when you pray, it's not about look at me how I'm praying. So we go on and on and on. And so Jesus now comes to the end of this message in chapter seven and it builds on chapter five and builds on chapter six. Jesus is saying on the Sermon on the Mount, this is all about, the, it's all about the narrow gate. It's all about Jesus. Only two gates, narrow and wide. Yes. One leads to destruction and one leads to life. Jesus said in John 14, six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. We would say that's it's just one way Jesus, amen? It's not Jesus plus something. It's not Jesus plus membership. It's not plus Jesus being a good person. It's Jesus only. Jesus, it's been said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Amen. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I love that it's, it's the way, and, and some would translate, it's the, it's the only way. It, it's the only truth. It, it's the only life. There's no other truth other than Jesus. Acts 4.12, 
The disciples said, nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. We come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, not again by what we do, how good we are. It's all about Jesus. Jesus is the narrow gate, church. He is the narrow gate. Jesus represents what we would call the exclusivity of the gospel. Again, it's not Jesus plus something. It's not inclusive. It's not in, the gospel is not inclusive. The gospel is exclusive. It's everything. It's Jesus. He is the only way to eternal life in heaven. John chapter 10, verse 9. Jesus said, I am the gate. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will come and go out and he will find good pasture. The gate leading to life in Christ is narrow, not because it's difficult, not because it's hard. It's not talking about that. It's narrow because there are few who pursue that road and that gate. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart man believes into righteousness and with the mouth confession is made into salvation. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is saved. 16 years old, 19, what was that? 72. 1972 came up on a Sunday morning. My dad was the pastor. I thought I was saved. I had just been convicted and convicted and came up and I met my dad. We just went to Romans chapter 10. Recognized I needed to repent. Called upon him. And God that day changed the entire, really, trajectory of my life. And in this room, if you're a Christ follower, you've got something like a story like that, amen? You have, you have something you can look back into your life. You may not know the exact date or the time, August 27th, 1972. There's about five rows in our church, about this many right here. My dad preached the gospel. I had heard the gospel. I grew up in the gospel, but I never made it myself to know him personally. So when it comes down to it, there are really only two religions in the world, the narrow way or the wide way. Uh, Pastor and teacher John MacArthur puts it this way. He defines it, I think, in a really neat way this way. He says this, the narrow way is the way of divine accomplishment. Hear that, church. The narrow way is the way of divine accomplishment. You can do absolutely nothing, nothing to deserve or earn Jesus. God has done it all. Amen, church? God has done it all. The only way to eternal life is through divine accomplishment through Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. The religion of divine accomplishment says there's absolutely nothing I can do. It's all that God has done for me in the person of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say the wide way is the way of human achievement. You do something. This is the religion of works. Be a good person. And by the way, be a good person. How good is good enough? Amen? Amen. There's always somebody gooder. Not, you know, not good. We can't be good enough. I did that intentionally. I know you guys are going crazy out there, right? But there's just, we're just not good enough, man. All right? We may feel like we're good people, but we're just not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not church membership, it's not baptism, it's not catechism, it's not serving, it's not reading your Bible. 
No one experiences eternal life by human achievement. It's only through divine accomplishment by the person of Jesus Christ. And church, that is a good word from the word, amen? That's a good reminder for us. According to Pew Research, 31% of U.S. Christians say their religion is the one true faith living to eternal life in heaven. 31% of Christians say that and believe that. Well, nearly twice as many, 58%, say that there are multiple religions that can lead to heaven. You must understand many, many, many people realize there are more ways to get to heaven than through one way Jesus, right? Many churches, right, will read the Bible and teach the Bible, but they add something to the Bible. They'll add baptism to the Bible, all right? They'll add, they'll add, uh, infant baptism to the Bible. Uh, they'll add, and nothing wrong with catechism. They'll add catechism. It's, something, it's all, again, by works what we do. And the Bible reminds us it's only what Jesus has done for us. The narrow gate leads to eternal life. And today you're either on the narrow way or the broad way. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor, became a pastor, just an amazing teacher, in the early 90s and middle 90s says this, the narrow way is a call to action. All throughout the gospels, Jesus is calling people to follow him. He doesn't say, consider me or admire me. Jesus says, follow me and believe me. The narrow way is a call for a decision. It is a call for a commitment. The old hymn got it right. Jesus paid. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed me white as snow. Two trees. Chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. He goes on to say, beware. Buyer, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. One translation says they're ferocious wolves. They, they're, they're on attack mode, right? That's what he's talking about, these false prophets and teachers. You'll recognize them by their fruits. So Jesus says, hey, look up, watch out, look at their fruits. And he uses this illustration. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Answer, no. Are fig trees from thistles? No. So every healthy tree bears good fruit But the diseased fruit, or excuse me, tree, bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Aren't the words of Jesus amazing? Simple, but so deep. 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you'll recognize them by their fruits. You'll recognize people by their fruits, by their actions, by, by their beliefs. He's communicating a strong warning. These false prophets are promoting and advancing a false gospel. And that happens all the time in our culture. Now, they'll, they'll drop a little bit of Jesus in there, all right? A little bit of Bible in there, but it's not, it's, it's Bible, Jesus, plus something. It, it, oh, it's plus something. There's, not, there's nothing plus about Jesus, It's just only Jesus. So he's saying, buyer beware. Be on guard. You should be on guard who you're listening to on podcasts or listening to whatever it may listen to teach. 
are they, t- use discernment, amen? What are they saying? What are they teaching? Because they're for false prophets and they're good at that. So he says, be on guard. They come to you in sheep's clothing. The idea of sheep's clothing communicates the idea. They conceal their identity. It's like they're, they're, everything looks really good. I mean, sheep are nice. I mean, you know, kind of things are great. But do, sheeps do bite, by the way, all right? They do bite. They seem harmless. So he's saying these teachers kind of seem harmless and it's, it's not a big deal. They, they're very gifted and they're able to communicate. So these prophets and teachers, he's saying, appear to be kind and appear to be innocent. But inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. I love the word. That's heavy, isn't it, church? Ravenous wolves. Not just wolves, ravenous wolves. It means to seize or suddenly snatch them. And ravenous wolves represent false teachers and false prophets. It's all about adding works to your life. False prophets and teachers dismiss Jesus. They diminish the gospel and they devalue the scripture. So what's the point? Be cautious. There are people like you in this room today who have been duped by a good teacher or, or duped by someone's teaching, right? So, so what does the Bible say? What does God's word say? It's not the Bible plus something. Now we can learn from other good books. I get that, but it's the word of God. Amen, church? That's the foundation. That's where we go and that's where we're at. He says, you'll recognize these prophets. You'll recognize them by the fruit. I'm not super smart, but when I see an, an apple on a tree, I get it. That's an apple tree, right? Say that. Plum tree, peach tree. It's not rocket science. So he says, use discernment. And that idea of fruit there is a, is a metaphor for character and conduct. In the context, fruit represents the actions of false teaching and, and self-focus and self-indulgent. Here it is, church. A healthy tree and a good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Can't produce bad fruit. Hear God's word in 2 Peter 2, 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, Peter writes. Just as there will be false teachers among you, he's writing to that first century believers. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies and teachings, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction to themselves. False prophets. There's always been false prophets. So he warns them. In the 19th century, Joseph Smith claimed to receive the Book of Mormon from the angel Moroni. For them, it's the Bible plus the Book of Mormons. Okay, that's not not it. I would say this very carefully. Mormons are not Christians. They're not Christ followers, so to speak, but they believe something more than Jesus. They believe something more than the gospel. It's the gospel plus it's, it's a gospel plus. I'm just telling you that, church. It's a gospel plus. God has not given us a second book. Say that. We don't need to find a second book somewhere, some tablet somewhere. Christian leaders like Benny Hinn promote counterfeit healing and prosperity gospel yep. to enrich themselves from their followers' gifts. Benny Hinn makes $9.3 million a year. False prophet, 
Buyer beware. Buyer beware. In the 70s and early 80s, there were false prophets at Midwestern Baptist Theological Church Seminary. Those, I was, it was here, I was here in the, in the early 80s. And we actually had students who came to our church and met with Pastor Joe, our pastor in his office. He invited me to come in who were just struggling with the teaching at the seminary down the road here. It, they didn't believe in the virgin birth, some of them. Didn't believe in the virgin birth or the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I would say today that is totally different today. By the way, that was the most liberal seminary, Baptist seminary in the country at Midwestern. And right now, man, it has totally changed. It is all about Jesus. It's all about, are you with me, church? Even a Baptist organization can put something else besides the gospel of Jesus Christ. The wide gate is a feel-good message. Just believe. Regardless of what you believe, just be sincere. Just follow your heart. False teachers always add work to the finished work of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 1.21, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carrying along by the Holy Spirit. I love that. They were carried, as they spoke from God and, and what the Holy Spirit led and directed them in that passage in Peter. And so when Jesus talks about checking the fruit of another's life, he was emphasizing the importance of paying attention to what you hear, what you're being taught. And even in this church here today, even challenge me, all right? What is Pastor Bob teaching? What is Steve teaching? What are any group, any group leaders teaching, right? It was probably in the late 90s in this room up here, uh, we had like, what do we call them back then, Todd? Uh, not Antioch groups. What's that? Adult Bible fellowships. Okay, I know a lot of guys were helping me there. Okay, so we, there's a room up here and a guy by the name of Kevin who was kind of helping our team walked in there. There's a group of people in there and these guys were just teaching blatant heresy, just people and they were, just, they were guests who came into our church. They were just a couple, they were just people that came in here. They weren't, they weren't members. They just would come in and they were really like taking over that. He came to us and talked to us about that. And we, we met with those guys and said, you're no longer welcome at our church. Do not come back to our church. But even here at Antioch, there were people infiltrating, coming in here, sitting like over here, not that's a Jew over here, but sitting over here, sitting here, sitting here. And they came as false prophets trying to just dig their way in, dig their way in. We even went to one person's house and just said, you are not welcome at Antioch. You're not welcome here. Stop it, all right? Stop it. So it, it can happen, church. Fruit trees don't lie. And you'll know them by their fruits, amen? Say that. It's not rocket science. Apple tree's an apple tree. Pear tree's a pear tree. And that's about as far as I can go with that, all right? All right. Two claims. Verse 21 and 23, two claims. Not everyone, catch this church, not everyone who says to me, Jesus, this is Jesus talking, not everyone who says to Jesus, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven represents Jesus' rule and his leadership. But, contrast, the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, 
On what day? On the day of judgment. That's what it means. On that day, on the day of judgment, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your names and did mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Whoa. Church family, those are heavy words. Could it be some in this room today may hear those very same words? You were a member at Antioch. You were involved at Antioch. You served at Antioch. But it was all about you. It was all about religion. It was not about Jesus. That can happen to a church. It can happen. Is everyone in this room a Christ follower? I don't know. I don't know. Are all the members of Antioch Bible Baptist Church Christians? No. I don't know who they are. I can't imagine where everyone in this place, everyone... I'm just telling you, there are those who think they know, who pray to prayer. Again, I'm not kind of slamming prayer. We do, we come to God in prayer, but it's not a prayer that saves you. Jesus saves you. Say that. I, I say that carefully and, and gracefully. It's, it's about repentance and seeing my sin. It's not about saying even all the exact right words, but knowing in your heart what you're doing. It's, 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 it's Jesus. It's about what he did. It's about his grace, not our works. It's about his death, his resurrection. So we've got to be careful about that. And you notice that contrast there between those who say the Lord and those who do the will of the Father. So Jesus is warning of basing your salvation on what you do rather on what Jesus did, did for us. The point is acknowledgement of Jesus' claim over your life. We are saved. We know that we are saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and a faith that saves is never alone. A faith that saves is never alone. Salvation is believing on who and what Jesus Christ has done for us, not what you can do for him. Our relationship is not about works. Our relationship is about the grace. And then as a believer, we are his workmanship. And so we do works motivated not to get some you know, religion, but motivated to make much of Jesus, amen, and to serve others well. Titus 3, 4, and 5, but, but when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he, he saved us not because of righteous things we have done, but he saved us because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus in verse 23 makes one of the strongest statements in all of scripture. I, I can't imagine what that must have been like when he gave this word out here to his followers and to the religious crowd, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes. When he made this statement, it must have blown their mind. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Those words I never knew are haunting words. I never knew. I never knew you. They're alarming words. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I am the good shepherd and the sheep. Excuse me, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. I know my sheep. Psalm 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. They follow me. Kent Hughes was a former pastor at College Church in Wheaton, 
uh, we have a college student at Wheaton, and he was a teacher there, a pastor for, and, then a, and a professor at, uh, at Wheaton College. Ken Hughes says this, some say the right things about the Lord, but don't acknowledge the authority of the Lord. They have an eternal language, but they don't have eternal life. Not everybody who says the right things has the right relationship. Wow. Number four, two foundations. Two foundations. And here's this thing, church. It's kind of feel, everyone then, are you with me? He's kind of he's giving this out here, the, the, teaching this, this sermon. Everyone then who hears these words of mine, right? what, what words of mine, Jesus? The words of the Beatitudes, the words of chapter six, all these words he's been teaching. That's, that's the context. Everyone who hears these words, what words, these words I've been talking about for the last couple hours, and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and the beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. The foolish man built his house upon the sand and the rains came tumbling down. The rains came down and the help me here, floods came, the rains came down, the floods came up, the rains came down, the floods came up, and the house on the sand went slap. And then what, the, the one the house built on the rock, it's the, whole, the whole thing was built on the rock. So I'm not going to go whole, sing the whole thing again. That's it. I think a lot of good theology, theology, amen, and kids singing, man. A lot of good, you guys still sing those songs? Still singing them, amen. Get after it. That's, it's a good, a good word. Everyone who hears the words of Jesus and does them, he says, is like a wise man builds the house. Two builders, two houses, both builders experience the same storm, two foundations. So he's not talking about building a literally little house on rock or sand. He's using a metaphor. He's talking about your life, your life. He's talking about how you're building your life, how you're establishing your values and how you're defining the right foundation. Is it Jesus or is it self? Is it the rock or is it the sand? Two houses are metaphors for two men. These houses both look the same, both look the same. They probably attend the same church. One chooses to build on the rock, the other on the sand. One is wise and one is foolish. When Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount, he, they were hearing truth, but some didn't believe it. Some didn't buy it. Some didn't agree with it. And they're the foolish ones. Those who heard the words of Jesus and believed them and accepted them, they are the wise ones. So the wise man built his house on the rock. Again, the rains came, the floods came, the house, it didn't fall because it was on the rock. And the rock here represents Jesus. Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the rock. 
The foolish man built his house on the sand. Again, the rains come, the floods came, the wind blew out the house, and the house collapsed, and the great was followed because it was built on sand. So the rock represents the person who not only hears the words of Jesus, but puts those words into practice. Right? So it's not, I'm not talking about working your way, but you hear these words. You hear the words of Jesus, you receive the word, and then you put those words into practice. The man who built his house on the sand represents the person who hears the words of Jesus, but doesn't put those words into practice. Here it is, church. They both heard the same sermon, but they both, they both made a different decision. I'm building my house on Jesus or build my house on works. Build my house on the rock or build my house on the sand. That song of a hymn is good. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Is your life built on the solid rock? Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed. By the word of God. By the word of God. Has there been that defining moment in your life where you said yes to Jesus Christ, recognizing my sinfulness, recognizing without him I have no hope? And we talk about that word as in the scriptures, although repentance is a change of mind, it's a change of direction where I'm as a, walking this way in my life, it's a change I'm walking this way. It's not about perfection, it's about a change. And we're always in this process. First of all, there's justification when you're declared righteous, amen? amen. Being declared righteous, Romans chapter five. And then there's this sanctification where we're in the process of growing in Christ. So we're already in Christ. We've been declared righteous and now we're walking and we're growing in Christ. I've said it for many years in my own personal life and others. For me, it's like walking four steps forward and sometimes it's two or three steps backwards. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but God is sanctifying us and he's changing us, amen? And we should be changing. We should be concerned about our sin in our life and confess that sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and not just say, God, forgive my many sins, but to give something specific about my sin. I would tell you, church, my sins are many. I'm, my sins are many. Thank God for his grace. Say that. Thank God we can call upon his name. I'm not getting saved again. We're already in Christ but we're growing, we're recognizing our need for Jesus Christ. And then in the closing verses here in 7, 28 and 29, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished. They were blown away at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as those who were the scribes. The scribes represent the religious people, the ones who were writing the words of God, in fact. And he, he says that. And so when Jesus finishes these sayings, the crowds were astonished. I imagine there were different thoughts and feelings going on because of what they heard from Jesus. For many, it may have been an emotional reaction to Jesus and his words. Like, man, he has blown it away. He's, he's teaching here with authority. Right? 
And they may have even missed the whole thing. They may have missed it all. There were some that heard the words of Jesus that recognized their need for him. There were others who didn't recognize and see their need for him. So they had maybe this emotional reaction, but they didn't have a, a commitment to faith in the person of Jesus Christ. He was teaching as one who had authority, meaning he had the power to act. It's, it's, it's his kingdom. I mean, he, he's in authority. He's in rule. And with that power and authority, he is able to confirm and define what truly is truth. Because right? he's the epitome of truth. He is truth. Not as the scribes who relied on the authority and affirmation of others. That, that's the picture here. There were some who heard and believed. There were some who heard and didn't believe. This is a good time for us as a church just to be thinking about our life. Think back in your heart. I'm not trying to worry anybody or you know, put anybody, I'm just trying to look at your faith, look at your life. Now again, it's not works that save us, but as a believer, there should be something in our life that recognizes that and we're moving forward to that, serving him well. I'm not saying we got to be at a church every Sunday. If you're going to be, I'm not talking about all the things we have to do. I think the things that already been, has been done for us yeah. and because of what they've been done, how then do we live out that in our own personal life? John Ortberg, uh, former pastor and author, put it this way. Jesus never went up to people and said, admire me. He only said, follow me. He went on to say, whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Those words seem very simple, but those words are heavy, aren't they? They're, they communicate responsibility. Again, not works, but as a follower, this is what we do. We take up the cross, we follow him. Let me just share a couple of thoughts as we close, just a personal responses. Number one, what foundation are you building your life on? The sand or the rock? What foundation are you building your life on? Number two, do you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? You may not know the exact date or the time, but you know that you know that you know. I'm trusting Jesus. Put my faith in him. I, I say it, Carol, I know we're gonna, we pray and we, a prayer is a way that we communicate with him, but I'm just telling you, your prayer doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. Are you okay? I hope I'm making, I'm not trying to be weird with that. I'm just saying it's Jesus. Because I've heard people say over the time, yeah, I, I, mean, I, I, had a, I prayed a prayer. Uh, okay, well, let's talk about what that was. Well, I just prayed a prayer, not sure what it was all about. My dad just told me to pray and I just prayed a prayer. All right, so I, I just want to encourage you. Are you on the rock? Okay, are you saved? Are you trusting him? I'm not trying to doubt anybody in this room. I got to just be transparent with you. There's been times in my life when I, I've doubted the fact that I was a Christ follower. It was probably back in the mid, mid uh, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, my dad uh, had a heart attack, died instantly. I got a phone call from Springfield. I was up here. I was at Antioch and 
and call and say, hey, just want you to know your dad just passed away. And it's just like, it's one of those, you've been there, haven't you? It's like, what? You know? And then there was a little bit of time in my life where there's just that, did I, was it my dad? So what God took me to is Romans 10, 9 and 10. And that verse 13. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Bob, did you call on the name of the Lord? Yes, I called on his name to save me. For with the mouth confession is made, with the heart man believes into righteousness. I had to go back to the word and just put my hand on the word and just, I just went, just like, this is what God's word says, Bob, about you and about who you are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Do you have that personal relationship with Christ? And today could be that defining moment for you to say yes to Jesus. Yes to Jesus. I would say this very carefully. I believe there are people in this seats today, I say it very graciously, who are sitting here today who are not in Christ. I don't mean that in any way to hurt anybody. I'm just saying there are people in this room watching online who are not in Christ. Some, I'm not trying to doubt somebody or weird somebody out. But are you trusting Jesus? Has there been that moment when you recognize I am a sinner, Jesus died for my sins, and I put my faith and trust in him? And we could do there's in those verses, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Right? He demonstrated his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's just good to even go back to those verses and remember, yes, it's not about me. It's about Jesus and what he did for me, what he did for me. Does your faith represent works of obedience? As a Christ follower, are you just kind of going with the crowd? Are you, are you living your life in a way that would represent Jesus well? Is he alive in your life? Is he alive in your life? Is it just Sunday morning for an hour or so and then the rest of the week or whatever? It's just all you. It's all you. And then this, I, this, I thought this question I would just give you is just, do you love him? You know, in John 17, he would talk to Peter. Do you love me, Peter? Oh man, I, you know I love you. Do you love me? He did it three times, back to back to back. It was just a good time for Peter because he denied him three times and three times Jesus said, are you my, fo- are you my follower? Are you my follower? Do you, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Let me pray with you. Let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, we thank you. Uh, I, I just, this, this Matthew 7, 13 to 29 is a, is a, it's a difficult challenge, overwhelming. It's, a, it's right straight up, God, for us about where we are in our relationship with you. Jesus finishes out that sermon just straight on. And so it's good for us to look and remember and, and, and look back and say, yes, I, yeah, I remember I did that. I'm, or some would say, I just, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm, I have some doubts. That today could be this day to make it right with Jesus. To build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up or say anything. But perhaps in this room today, you would lift up a hand and say, Bob, I'm just, I'm just not sure. I've just got some questions. Would that be anyone in this room today would say, that's, that's me. So Father, help us to live out our faith 
we need you. We can't do it on our own. We need to be in the word and, and grow in the word. Uh, and just thank you that even in my sinfulness, you still love me. Thank you, Father, for loving me, loving us. And may we live our life in a way, and may we be encouraged today that our life is built on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for that relationship we can have with you by faith, by your grace, by repentance. Thank you, Father, for making salvation possible in our lives. So we give all that to you. Use this passage, God, to grow us and to challenge us to live out our faith in a way that honors you. Give us, God, uh, ways to be aware of what's happening around, what we're watching on, whatever we're watching, to make sure we're discerning well someone who is preaching, someone who is teaching. Is it the word of God? Is it the word of God? So we give all that to you. We pray in Jesus' name, church, and all we said is... Thank you for listening. You're always welcome at Antioch. If you desire more information, please go to AntiochBBC.org. That's AntiochBBC.org. God's best to you.